This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Under the carport. And the insurance was convinced that it needed to be written off. So that's what happened. But I, I know for us living in South Africa, we are used to experiencing thunderstorms. Sometimes they come out of nowhere. Sometimes you can see them brewing, brewing somewhere in the distance. And it's almost, it feels like sometimes it, it sort of comes at us. But I know also that we, all of us experience storms of a different kind. Uh, some of us experience storms in our relationships. Some of you in this room have experienced where a, a spouse has chosen to engage in a relationship outside of marriage. And you've experienced the storm of the breakdown and trying to put things together and trying to figure out how, what am I going to do and how I'm going to handle, how am I going to weather this storm. Others of us in this room have experienced storms in our health where you received a diagnosis which, which was life-threatening. And it was evident that it was going to require a whole lot of money and a whole lot of treatment that would be needed for you to possibly, by chance, maybe get through this illness that you're faced with. Some of us have experienced storms in our families where you've had a child that you've raised and you've spent time nurturing them, instilled godly values in them, but they've fallen amongst the wrong crowd and they've chosen to, to rebel and to run the opposite direction. And you have had to almost feel like you are bound in the midst of this thing, completely out of control of the storm that you're facing. I know for sure, I've certainly experienced this myself, we all have all at times experienced financial storms where we would find ourselves in a place where the decisions I made upon impulse and emotion have now, because the economy is slowed down and interest rates are climbing and fuel prices are going, I'm feeling the pressure. The storm seems to be closing in more and more. And today I want to speak to us about the fact that Jesus has power over storms. As we've been studying the book of Mark together, I, I'm, I'm trusting that you will find yourself in the scripture and that you would be amazed and astonished as, as we see so many times the crowds gathering around Jesus, these disciples being, spending time with him and, and being amazed at the fact that he, not only can he heal the sick and deliver demons and, and actually um, you know, multiply bread, but he can also calm storms in our lives. And so we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 51. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says the following. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, Jesus is very polite, goodbye everybody, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought you were concerned about these guys. You're going to just walk past them? Okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> Intending to uh, go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. 
But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. Now, if you had to find yourself in this storm, I'm sure, you know, your, your response and reaction would be exactly the same as the disciples. You know, nobody thinks like you're trying and then, who's that? What's happening? And often when we're in the storm, we're so consumed with the terror and the fear that we don't see God in the midst of it. And I'm trusting this morning that you and I will see that Jesus is the miracle-working God, that He is powerful. And I'm trusting that you and I would encounter Him and know Him and walk with Him in increasing measure. I want to just share a little a brief overview of, of this uh, passage because I think it's helpful for us when we come to God's Word to be able to look at this. And so first of all, we need to see that the disciples at this very moment, just, you know, a few verses earlier, it says, you know, at the start of this, it says immediately that Jesus said to them, get into the boat. But just before that, they had just witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000 from a few loaves and fish. They just experienced God doing miracles. They had just been sent out a chapter before to go preach the gospel, the kingdom of God, and they themselves witnessed demons fleeing and people being healed. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I, if you've ever been on an outreach or you've ever stepped out, you, you come out from there like kind of walking on cloud nine. You're like, just like, man, nothing can stop me. I'm just amazing. This is just like everything. I, if I just touch someone, they get healed. But then you get home. And the dog needs some work and help. And the, and the carport has fallen on your car. And the storm of life has continued to rage. And it's amazing to see that in this context, the disciples find themselves having come out of a, a high point very quickly, almost immediately, out of nowhere, they find themselves in this storm. And I think you and I need to see the se severity or the seriousness of this storm. This was no ordinary thing. These guys are experienced, fish, experienced fishermen. They know this the Lake of Galilee. They've fished on it all of their lives. And for them to be in a place where they're rowing for dear life and to be terrified, feeling like they're going to die, that takes a whole lot. And I know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've certainly been in, in moments in my life when I look at my own ex experiences and I go, no, I can handle this. I've done this before. But all of us find ourselves at some point in our lives where we are terrified, where we are we cannot lean upon our experiences. We cannot lean upon what we know and what we've done before, but we now are needing to cry out to God for help. You and I need to see that in this passage, the disciples found themselves at the right place, sort of at the wrong time. It's interesting to see that Jesus sent them on. He said to them, go, you go. It's like that they were in the will of God. They were following Jesus' instructions. And it is in following him that they find themselves in the storm. Anybody experience that at some point in your life? I'm like, I'm obedient, Lord. I'm doing this thing. I'm, I'm raising my children. I'm, I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus. But now my circumstances are changing. And these other elements are coming in. And, and in Mark chapter 4, which is, we'll be looking at just the parallel of these two pa passages. But we see in that instance where... When the wind rose, it came out of nowhere. It was a spiritual storm. And in the same sense, I believe even in this passage, 
that this was a spiritual dynamic that was at play. The enemy knew that they, the disciples were on a high. They were a little bit confused about what, was, what Jesus was wanting to do and why would he send them off by, by themselves. But it was in that moment of, of being kind of confident and having experienced success that the testing and the trials come. And so just in the same way for the, for the disciples, you and I need to see that it's interesting, I, I mean, to look at this passage and see that Jesus seems to take a long time to kind of get on board with the program. He's still up on the mountain, and he can see them struggling, and he doesn't do anything, it seems like. It seems like he is almost un- not involved, but what was Jesus doing? He was praying. He was interceding. He was on, he was on the job, even though they didn't feel like he was involved at all. Hebrews chapter 6 says, verse 11 to 12 says, and, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of, of hope until the end that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Why am I saying that? When you and I go through storms, just like Jesus had times when he would go up and pray to be replenished with the Father, in the same way, you and I need to learn to endure no matter what circumstances. We need to find ourselves in a place where we can trust God. I'm not going to just trust you, Lord, in the storm, but I want to believe that you're going to lead me through the storm that I'm experiencing. You and I want, God wants you and I to have faith and perseverance in that. The disciples were rowing. They were doing their best. And it was in the midst of their continuous trusting, I believe, and wanting to to, to engage with what God was doing, that they actually could encounter the miracle. And so often we just give up. We disengage. We just say, well, that's too hard. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to shipwreck my faith. But actually God wants you and I to hold dear to that. Something interesting also for the disciples from this passage is that the disciples didn't know where they were at in the midst of the trial or the storm that they were experiencing. They didn't know if it, okay, is this the beginning of it? We've been rowing for nine hours. How long, Lord? How long? Are we going to carry on still? And some of you, you don't know where you're at. You don't know if maybe the storm you're experiencing is just the beginning of it. And you and I need to take heart. Jesus has power over the storms. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of it. Are you and I willing to endure? But some of us, you are on the you are on the, the edge of breakthrough. And I want to tell you today, hold on. Jesus is coming. He can and he will calm the storm you're in. Because Jesus will appear. He will come onto the scene. And sometimes he arrives walking on the water. Other times he's sleeping in the boat. And it feels like we've got to wake him up. Lord, where are you? What? Don't you care? We're struggling here. But Jesus is always at work. God, it might feel like God's not on board, but he's actually in control of it. So I want to speak a few. There's four lessons that I want you and I to take home today based on this passage. Now remember, friends, we're in this called out series, and we see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, it's our um, black armbands. If you haven't received one, please go to the info desk. Make sure that you're wearing it, that you're praying, trusting God to call you out to be a fisher of man. But it says, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. 
This is the first thing we sign up for, friends, is we sign up to follow Jesus. Not our own will, not our own ways, but we're following him. And often, Jesus leads us into the very storms that we're going to face. That's the first point. You and I need to understand that often God leads us into. He doesn't cause the storms, i.e., he wants to say, okay, let me check it. How can I make life difficult for you? Mm -hmm. No, he uses because we live in a fallen world. We live in the fact that people have, have free will. You know, weather circumstances change. I mean, just in this last uh, you know, season, we've seen how just through all the flooding that's happened, people have been displaced from their, their homes and properties have been destroyed. Who can predict that? But it's what do I do in the midst of that? And sometimes it may feel like God leads you into the place that he wants to show you. In, in, um, in, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus actually says to his disciples, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. And then he gets into the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion. In the same sense here, he says to his disciples, get into the boat and go to the other side. He knows, obviously Jesus knows that the storm's coming. I mean, he's God. It's not like he catches him off guard. That's perhaps why he was praying for his disciples. He said to his disciples that, you know, said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. But take heart, I've prayed for you. I am with you and I will carry you through the things that you experience. You and I should take heart. Now, what are, the, what are the types of storms that we sometimes find ourselves in? Sometimes it feels like God leads us in there. Sometimes we fall into them. And I think it's important for us to ex- see that we all experience hardships at some point. All of us experience uh, persecutions even, maybe in your workplace or in your business. If someone doesn't want to do business with you because you're not willing to pay something under the table. Your family members, perhaps, don't like spending that much time with you. Feel like you're just too excited about Jesus. And we all experience that. But sometimes the storms we face are actually God's discipline in our lives. God uses the things that we've chosen to do or not to do to help us to draw us closer to Him. And this is, I think, a very real part of our lives. Now, I don't think I've ever said this, but, uh, you know, when I'm going through a storm or a challenge or a trial, or I feel like the Lord's discipline is on me, you know? I don't think I've ever said, yes, I just feel the Lord loves me so much right now. I just feel loved by the Lord right now. He's so close to me in the midst of my storm. But actually, friends, that should be the place where we are drawing near to Him even more. David, when he confesses his sin with Bathsheba, we're going to look at David's life later on this year. When he confesses his sin, he, he writes, he says, the, the, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. When you experience the heaviness of God's hand on your life, it's not him trying to crush you. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to help you and I be fed, set free from these things that we experience. Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. (laughs) But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained by it or in this way. Now, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, okay? My, My parents, I can't see them in the room right now, but 
my, my, my parents enjoyed um, helping me. Now, I know some millennials are going here, like, I know you got ribbons and trophies for everything, but, but we got some love in the swing of things, you know? But what was amazing for me to see is that because my parents loved me, they disciplined me. And my dad had a way of never disciplining me in anger, always explaining, I says, because I love you, because, and for even now for me, as I discipline my children, I, I don't give them hidings anymore. The laws have changed. <laughs> but as I'm disciplining my children, I'm reminding them, listen, I'm not just wanting your best now. I don't want you just to behave now. I want you to reap a harvest of right living. And I'm so grateful for parents that were willing to discipline me. And I want to encourage you as parents, don't give up. I know it feels difficult and they push against and they don't want to receive it, but don't give up because if God doesn't give up on us, we shouldn't give up on our children. We shouldn't give up on those that God has placed in our, uh, in our um, care. And sometimes it, it, it can feel quite scary. It can feel kind of, yes, I don't know if, if it's going to ever, I, I remember having those moments when I've done something wrong and I, I know it's coming. Whew, and I just don't know and I... I I just don't want to experience it. I, I, I must just have a confession session quickly if you guys want to, want to hear a little bit of my story. So, so at grade 11, um, playing, playing drums and socializing and sleeping was, was my number one activity. My dad would make the joke. He says that if, if someone has allotted a, a, a period of sleep in their lifetime, I used it up when I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm ahead. <laughs> and so academics was not on the the cards for me at all. And I remember receiving a letter from the school at the end of, well, towards the third term of, of grade 11, basically stating that I needed to hand this letter to my parents, saying, if I don't sharpen up on my academics, I'm not going to be able to go through to matric. So naturally, my parents never saw that letter. <laughs> I, I confess, mom and dad, sorry, I, I, now you know. But I remember finishing grade 11, and, and, and I did kind of work harder, but I ended up for that December holiday visiting Mark here in Clarksthorpe and completely forgot to inform my parents that report day was a specific day. And on that day, I get a phone call from my parents. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they, oh, they, they, got, they got my report, and I failed, and now I've got to come home, and there's a, there's a big, big thing. And my dad's like, no, I just want to just check in. Oh, was it the report day? Oh, no, I didn't know. We didn't get it. So here I go, beginning of grade 12, back to school, and it's the first day of school, and if, you, if your surname is Bailey, you're in the first class, normally. So there I am, eagerly waiting, and the first class gets called out, but my name is not called. Now remember, I hadn't seen my report yet. The second class gets called, my name still doesn't get called. And I can see people are being called back to grade 11 already. And I'm just waiting for somebody to come to me and say, Gareth, um, wrong, wrong group, this side. I was so stressed, and then by some miracle, my name was called. I was just like, just thank you, God. <laughs> thank you, God, for delivering me from my own stupidity and the wrath of my parents. <laughs> 
But when we experience these storms, it can be so scary, even the discipline that we experience. But it is supposed to help us make adjustments. It's God's way of saying to you, listen, roadblocks, hello, I want to get your attention. Don't slip into this. Don't do it. Rather step back, make the adjustment. But I think what we sometimes ask, even if we're experiencing discipline, in the midst of our storms, is that we can sometimes ask, well, where is God in this? Why does God allow this to happen? I, I, I'm sure that many of us have, have liked the disciples in Mark chapter 4. They're waking Jesus up. Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Like, doesn't God care about me? Why does he allow me to go through this storm? And sometimes we can even ask that question. And I know as I spend time with with, um, with people that are far from God, that are struggling in their faith, they ask these questions. Well, is God real? You know, is God good? Is God even love? Because if I look around me, it's a broken world, and things don't seem to be all together. And I, I want to say to you, I know that we are experiencing this, and, in, and many of you are experiencing those conversations even in your workplaces and with your family. Now, when I have that conversation... I try and be a pastor by day and fisher of men by night, a bit of a double agent thing. But what I've found is that the conversation goes really well until we get to the point where someone says, hey, so what do you do for a living? And the minute I say, oh, pastor, oh, gee, the door's closed. Now I don't want to ask any more questions. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, pastor. You know, don't want to swear anymore, you know. To which I normally say, well, if it's okay for God to hear, then it's okay for me to hear, I guess. So it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> but it means that for me, the conversation becomes harder. But for you, perhaps, it's not that difficult. But you and I can speak into people's questions and doubts and fears in a way that I wouldn't be able to. And today I want to encourage you to help people to see God in the midst of the storms that they face. Many people think of God as kind of, he has to be like Superman. You know what Superman does? He, he jumps in on, on, on problems all the time. He hears, oh, there's a chatter. Oh, there's a problem. In there, you know, into the phone booth, out the phone booth, back into the phone booth. In that whole time, he's fixed the problem. But then there's, there was one moment in, in, uh, in one of the Superman movies. Some of you will not remember this because you haven't seen it. It's the Christopher Reeves version, you know. That one. Now you guys, now you know how old this is it. On VHA still. So there's a moment where Superman makes a mistake. He doesn't save somebody. And what does he do? He flies into the atmosphere and spins around the, 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 the earth and turns back time, basically. Turns back time, comes back, fixes the problem. Ta-da! But that's what we, we sometimes do to God. We're like, hey, Jesus, can you get some tights on? Can you, can you get your cape ready to come and fix my problem? But that's not God's role. That's not who God is. Uh, any fathers in the house today? I'm, I'm a dad. And if, if I look at how I interact with my children, my job as a father is not to just fix my kids' problems or to keep them from experiencing pain and hardship in their lives. That's not my job. If I did that, if that was what I, then I would be a terrible father. I, I wouldn't be a good dad if that was the thing that was consuming my mind. I, it's not what I'm supposed to do. 
when I look at my children, I realize that as much as I love them and as much as I want to keep them from experiencing pain, they have free will of their own. And I cannot control the decisions they make. And what I've realized is that at times when I've, I've had to intervene in my children's lives, and my children are young still, but they, they have moments when they're like, I can't believe you're so unreasonable. How can you take this away from me? How can you say I can't watch another program? How can you say I can't have a phone, or I can't have this, or I can't have my, my children are like 11. So down the, for those parents, I'm like, my kids are not 20, and they don't have kids, they don't have phones, you know? But it's not my job as a father to keep my children from getting hurt. That's the mom's job. Oh, what's up? What's up? Don't do that. Oh, go, get down from there. Be careful. No, uh, sorry, moms. No, it, it's, it's not our jobs to do that as parents. But actually, I've seen that when we have had to step in to protect our children from bad decisions, that's often when they resent us the most. Isn't that what we do with God sometimes? God is a loving Father, and He wants the best for us, but the minute it feels to us like He's constraining us, He's containing what we can do and where we can go and what we can have, we rebel, we push against it, Him in that way. And I, I don't know if you've done that, but I certainly have. I think we've, we've all had moments when we've pushed back on what God has said and done, and, and, and we've, we've felt almost neglected by Him. But can you and I shift our view of God today? Can we be aware that Jesus is a good, loving God who wants to step into the midst of our storms, help us to see Him in the middle of it, and be able to experience and express that in increasing measure? Now, the question we can, our children sometimes ask, but if you really love me, you, you would like really, you, you wouldn't do that. But I mean, any of our, one of us that have ever experienced that, I think can, can, can be distracted by the problem or our want and our need and we lo- lose sight of what God's really at work. What is the, why am I like this? This is what I try and do with my children when I'm disciplining them. And I'm helping them to work out issues between one another because they fight and bicker and like, wait a minute, what's the real issue here? I know this is what you're saying, this is what you're doing, but actually what? Do you really trust me? Do you know that I love you? And if I say to you, you can't have this, that I actually have what's, you know, best in mind for you. I want to ask you and I to trust the Lord Jesus. The third lesson I want us to see is that just because God doesn't cater to you doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you. Just because God doesn't cater to you doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you. If there's one thing I've come to experience and know in my walk with Jesus is that I often don't get what I want. But when I look over my shoulder in a life of obedience, I'm so glad God didn't give me what I wanted at times. I'm so glad there were those moments when I thought, yeah, Lord, can you just please, this breakthrough, I want to buy this house or want to go in this particular thing or start this relationship or be involved in these things. And, 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 and one, I was so consumed with what I wanted, but when I didn't get it later on, when I look, I can see, wow, God has been so faithful. Because you see, friends, God's plans are not our plans. 
and His ways are not our ways. And He looks at our lives, not from a distance like Beth Midler used to sing, you know, Beth Midler, from a distance. No, God is watching us, no, not from a distance. He is right there with us. He's in the midst of our storms. And Jesus wants us to experience and know that He wants lordship of our lives. He doesn't follow us, but we follow Him. And when we are sharing the gospel with people, we're not asking them to say, well, God's your cosmic genie, and you rub Him the right way, and He'll give you what you want. No, friends, we follow Him, and we're willing to yield ourselves to Him in increasing measure. The last point that I have today is that storms don't prove that He doesn't care. Storms show us that He is in control. I want you to see this. Look at the, li- the, the moments you've had in your life. Just recently, a, a, a friend of ours who leads a church down in Durban, um, it's now probably seven years now, um, but just recently he was diagnosed for the fourth time with cancer. He's had four tumors recently removed from his brain. Well, not, they couldn't remove it because they had so many. So he had to go into very trial kind of, medication and, and a process of, of, of healing. That was going to cost 1.6 million rand. I don't know about you, but if you've had four, four bouts of cancer, medical aid, nowhere, it's depleted. There's no option anymore. And by God's grace, in the midst of that storm he experienced, within seven days, they raised 1.8 million rand. Friends, when you and I see ourselves and find ourselves in the storm, it's an opportunity for us to experience God is in control of our lives. I'm sure you've experienced those moments when you've been in the midst, you've, you've been so consumed with the, the things that you are battered by. And when God comes through, it's just like only God could have done this. I, it could, I, nobody else can get the credit for this. God is in control. You see, in in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says, He saw that they were in serious trouble. Jesus sees us when we are in trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to uh, go past them. I I, I love the way that it says this in the the Gospel of uh, John. It's a parallel passage. In John chapter 6, it says the following, They had rowed three or four miles. That's not very far. The whole, the whole um, lake is about 12 miles wide. So they were about a third of the way. You know, if you've been rowing for eight hours, nine hours, you're like, you're not going anywhere. So in the midst of that, they were, uh, it says that they had rowed for three, hour, uh, three miles when Jesus suddenly, they suddenly saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but what does Jesus do? He called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Jesus calls out to you and I. He calls us out to be his disciples, but he also calls us to not be afraid. And then he says this very powerful statement. If you read the Greek translation, the only thing it says is that, it says that they were afraid, Jesus called out to them, and then he said, I am. He, didn't, he doesn't say, I'm here. He just says, I am. How many other moments in the scriptures do we see God describing himself as I am? When Moses is at the burning bush, 
God reveals himself to him, says, I am. Tell them that I am sent you. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, has these moments where he makes these I am statements. I am the bread of life. This is, that's what the, the feeding of the 5,000 was all about, pointing towards that he is the bread of life. I am living water. I am the good shepherd. You and I can trust him in the midst of that. And, and in your storm today, Jesus says, I am. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and they were accusing him of blasphemy, and they asked him, are you the son of God? He simply answered, I am. And in that moment, people were knocked over. The power of God was at work at the statement of I am. And I want to ask you, are, are you willing to let I am speak into your situation? Placing yourself in his hands, no longer trusting in your own way. You see, friends, Jesus is saying to, the, to us today that his presence is greater than our problems. I want you to say this with me. His presence is greater than my problems. I want to say it again. His presence is greater than my problems. Can you and I speak that into our storms that we face? Can you and I walk in that way? Can we know that God is calling us out to be people that bring about the transformation and the change that Jesus has for us? I want to speak to those of us today that you've, you've been following Jesus for many years. And you've experienced storms and God has been faithful and, and you've got some battle scars to show for it. But you know that God has been faithful to you. I want you to apply God's word in your life and continue to walk it out. Because in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter um, 14, this is the same story, the same instance that the, the disciples are, are explaining. We see that in the midst of the storm, they're rowing for dear life. Jesus comes walking and what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come. Let me come. Today, I want you and I to be like Peter. The reason why Mark doesn't share Peter walking on the water is because Mark's giving Peter's account of Jesus' life. And Peter, throughout the, the book of Mark, you can see he paints himself in, a, in sort of a diminished term. He's, he doesn't puff himself up. Oh, I did this cool thing with Jesus. And then it, he's not like John, you know. John's like the disciple who Jesus loved. The disciple, the disciple who Jesus loved. Well, he was first at the tomb, you know. But for, 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 for Mark and for Peter, he is saying he doesn't want to attract attention to him. But in Matthew, we see Jesus comes walking on and Peter asks this question. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And I love the way that Ronald Bonker explains it, you know. What does Romans 10 verse 17 say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it says... Ronald Bonker said the following. He says, Peter dared to jump. And then he did the following. C-O-M-E. Come. Every step was on the word of God. C-O-M-E. Jesus is calling you and I to come. To step out of the boat in the midst of the storm. To trust him at his word. 
If you've been following Jesus, can you and I be like Peter? Can we be like the disciples who follow him? If you're far from God today, I have got amazing news for you. We look at the Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 21. It says, They were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. See, friends, at this moment, the storm was raging. They saw Jesus, and the disciples were all too eager. Just get into my boat, Jesus. Come, get into the boat, because if you're in the boat, things are going to be calmed. And I don't know what storms you are facing today. And you know you've, you've made some very bad decisions. And you're experiencing, even to an extent, something of God's discipline in your life because of some of those decisions. Can I invite you today to be like the disciples, to become a disciple of Jesus that says, Jesus, get in. I'm eager to invite you into my boat. I want you in my life. Because when we do that, friends, what's amazing to see is that it says that Jesus got into the boat and immediately they were at their destination. So they went from a third of the way to the shore in an instant. Can you imagine that? And that's what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we don't face storms anymore. It doesn't mean that we are no longer experiencing hardships because like I said, Jesus says, take heart. In this life, you will experience hardship and trouble. When we follow him, that's part of the package. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we go from a rocket, rocky, rickety boat to firm, solid ground. And when you and I put our faith in Jesus, that's what he does. He transfers us from darkness to life. He brings us into his presence and his kingdom. And I want to encourage you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And for all of us to continue to walk by God's word, but also to allow him to minister to us in greater measure. I'd love to pray for us. Before we finish today, we're going to have a communion together. And I'm going to ask Israel to come to the front so long and prepare to share with us. But I, I want to just pray for those of us. I don't know what storm you've been experiencing. I don't know if you've been experiencing God far away. And as I've been sharing, there's been moments that have popped into your mind and you felt, oh, Lord, where are you? I'm trusting that you would allow Jesus to step into your storm and know that he's got the power over that. That you and I will trust him. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus or perhaps you've drifted away from God, I want to encourage you today to allow Jesus into your boat. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.